Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. Today, I'm speaking with Karen, a woman I've been following on Instagram for quite a while. I periodically reach out to people who have public platforms and invite them on the show. And not only did Karen say yes, she offered to use her real name. The fantastic thing about this is she mentions how she uses Instagram as self-care and for advocacy during our conversation, and you can be looking at her feed while she's talking. On Instagram, she's at Kay Hitzelberger, K-H-I-T-S-E-L-B-E-R-G-E-R, and that link is in the show notes. Karen has cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair. For many years, she bought into the idea that as a disabled person, she must be non-sexual, and it would be impossible for someone to find her attractive. At age 23, she discovered that none of that is true. We talk about how disabled people are frequently both fetishized and infantilized when it comes to sex, the ridiculousness of social media rules around sexuality, and the logistics when two disabled people want to be intimate. Karen is a 30-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white, queer, monogamous, and dating. She has cerebral palsy and a mental health disability and has previously had an eating disorder. She describes her body as fat. I am so pleased to introduce Karen. Karen, I am really excited to have you here. We have had a little bit of contact on Instagram, and I've just been really taken with your feed and how you present issues around body positivity and ableism and all of this. And so I'm so excited that you said yes to doing an interview. Thank you for being here. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. I I feel like for me, coming from a space of a lot of body hate, doing a lot of work around body positivity or even body neutrality mm-hmm. is has been really important. And just portraying this idea that disabled people are, in fact, human and we're complex and we have relationships and sex lives and desires and yes. all all of the above and more is like really important because people have this idea that we're like eternal children mm. and I'm 30 years old and I'm like I'm not a child yeah <laughs> right <laughs> like no um, yeah 
I really want to interview a broad variety of people so we get lots of different points of view. It is especially important to me that we present people with disabilities as human sexual people, because like you said, so often people with disabilities are seen as completely asexual or non-sexual. And while it may be true for some people, it is definitely not true for everybody. Yeah, I I identify as like demisexual. So for me, I have to have like a really strong relationship with someone to feel comfortable in a physical relationship with them. Yeah. But I think disabled people are either somebody's fetish, something mm-hmm. somebody wants to try out in air yeah. quotes, or we're just seen as having, I like how you said non-sexual versus asexual. Because mm-hmm. I think asexual is obviously a valid sexual identity, but disabled people aren't even given that agency to say like, no, this is my choice not to engage in this it's more just assumed that we don't or even further than that we don't that we shouldn't Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much that i want to talk to you about so let's uh dive in and the first place that i start every interview is what is your first memory of sexual pleasure Hmm. i don't actually know probably when i was in my 20s and started dating my first boyfriend and we would like talk on the phone and stuff and just realize, realizing that I could be attracted to somebody and have mm. those feelings for somebody and even more than like my feelings that somebody could have those feelings back towards me was very like much kind of like a sexual awakening, so to speak, of like, yeah. of like you're allowed to want these things. Mm. Like you in your body, exactly as you are, are allowed to want these things. You don't have to be thinner or more able-bodied or have straighter teeth or yes. like I can name a million things. But I think because my boyfriend at the time was also disabled and – we had a bicontinental relationship. Oh my goodness. So I, I can get into that a little more, but, um, so we would just Skype all the time and we would go from talking about like disability justice to the fact that he thought I was the prettiest girl in the world or whatever, <laughs> or whatever the conversation du jour was. I could both be like fully me in my activacy way with him, but also, be like a, a sexual person and it was just I had never dated anyone before I dated him and I had never been in a relationship my first kiss was in a British train station um it was epic and, <laughs> and I mean like it was a movie like our whole relationship was definitely a movie um the end of our relationship was really tragic for me in the sense that we broke up for various reasons. And then six weeks later, he died. Oh, my God. Um, and and that kind of informed my feelings about relationships going forward for a, very, for a long time. This was mm-hmm. about five years ago that this happened. 
but it's only now that I've started to explore dating again because there was a very long time where I was just like, no, this was my person and I get one. Yeah. And like he saw me as a person, but like I can't see other people seeing me that way. Mm. And like I really struggled with that, but I credit him with all the fashion and kind of body positivity stuff I do on Instagram kind of came out of a conversation I had with him where I was whining as I always do about the injustices of the world. (laughs) And I was saying that, that I didn't like that. I didn't see people who looked like me in media and he goes, well, you could change that. And I was, and then when he died, I really wanted to hold on to, how he made me feel about myself as Mm -hmm. somebody who was beautiful and desirable and could be wanted in that way. And so, and I wanted to present to the world that disabled doesn't mean ugly and it doesn't mean undesirable. It's it's not a, like my hashtag is disabled is not a bad thing. Mm. And and that relates to relationships too, right? Because a lot of people, like, he taught me all my good, my good quips and clapbacks to <laughs> things people would ask me in clubs. But, um, a lot of people, when they first meet someone, I'm in a wheelchair. And so a lot of people, when they first meet someone in a wheelchair, their first question is, can you have sex? Huh. My, res- my response to that now, by the way, is, well, you'll never find out. <laughs> love it we used to joke about these things like or we used to have a joke that if anyone stared at us in public or called us adorable we just had to start making out and make them really uncomfortable (laughs) i love it i I mean i mean it it's this idea that disabled people can't or don't experience that part of life yeah and they do and for a long time i kind of shut myself off to it i think largely because I thought no one could ever want me in that mm. way. Because that's what society taught me. Yeah. Is that I wasn't desirable in that way. So you you have cerebral palsy, correct? Yes. And that's a condition that you've had since you were born. Um, yes. Did you do any sort of self-exploration or like getting to know your own body when you were younger? Not really. Not until... After I was in a relationship and realized that it was okay for me to have these feelings and it was totally normal and healthy. And then I kind of like went from there. But I think for a long time, not really like how I grew up, because it wasn't necessarily like taboo in my household. But then I went to college and I got really involved in like evangelical Christianity for a while. Oh, really? I'm st- I'm still I still identify as Christian, but it's a much more like liberal, yeah, queer affirming, body affirming, disability affirming. I always say I believe in Jesus. I don't necessarily believe in a lot of church, a <laughs> yeah. lot of churches. Yeah. But I do believe like in this idea that we're meant to love people where they're at. Like, that's mm-hmm. what my faith looks like to me, is loving people where they're at. But I I think part of it, being drawn to that, was, okay, these are people 
who are not exploring that part of themselves. So I don't have to feel weird that I don't feel like anyone could ever want me in that way. Because I can just say this is a choice. And even now I'm very careful when I talk about how I identify in the ace spectrum because I originally just thought I was purely like asexual. And then I realized, no, I'm just afraid that no one's ever going to want to be with me. That's a huge difference. Yeah. I, for example, cannot get dressed myself. Mm-hmm. I cannot shower myself. I cannot go to the bathroom myself. So all of those things, essentially, the person who helped me with them starts out as a stranger. And on day one, they see me naked. Mm-hmm. So there are certain things that are very intimate to other people that are not intimate to me. But then there are other things that are extremely intimate to me that are not as intimate to other people. Like kissing mm-hmm. is extremely intimate to me because there's a lot of choice in that like for me they're not necessarily a lot of choice in do you do you get to see me naked mm-hmm. i joke with my friends that if we're friends long enough you'll see me naked <laughs> like you're gonna end up helping me at some point get dressed or whatever yeah it is what it is so that was never like part of intimacy for me in that way whereas like physical contact was in a different way and so the reason I still have like a very much I need a very strong emotional connection to someone is because I want to feel like I have a lot of agency in the decision and a lot of choice and I want to feel like I I know that it's incredibly vulnerable for anybody but when you literally if you're being intimate with someone, you literally cannot get up and get out of bed. Yeah. Like you have to trust that person with your literal life. Yeah. And I think that that's really hard to do. And I think that's why, and even my, my first relationship, we dated long distance for six months before we ever met mm-hmm. um, in person. So by the time I, I met him, I was like, yeah, I want to kiss you. Yeah, I want to be with you mm-hmm. because I, I, I knew, I knew a lot about him, and we knew each other very well. And as a person, he was attractive to me. Yeah, and I think I still experience that. That's why I like long distance dating. A lot of people don't like it. I like it because I get my little barrier uh-huh. between me and the other person, and I get to like get to know them from afar. It's weird. I, I, I um, yeah, I'm, I'm not real good at like whenever people want to meet up at first. I'm like, no, <laughs> like no. I say it nicely, but I'm just like too soon. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, so you said that your first kiss on the train tracks was epic. Tell me Ooh. about it. Yeah, it was in a British train station. So I. Went to postgrad in Leeds, and I, when I was applying to school, I met my wolf, who would become my boyfriend, on the internet, and he was also disabled and also going to school where I eventually went to school. May I ask what his disability was? He had cerebral palsy as well. Okay. Um. And we just hit it off. Like, it started as me picking his brain about, like, 
okay, you've lived in England your whole life. Like, can I actually do this? Like, I'm a spoiled American <laughs> who has, like, certain laws that protect me as a disabled person. What the heck is it like in another country? Yeah. And it just blossomed from there into, like, I honestly, like, the first day we talked, we talked for hours, and I didn't think that he would ever text me again. And then he did the next day, and I was, like, I, would, I like, felt myself, like, have, like, butterflies. Yeah. And I was just, like, I really like this person. And and then one day, we're just talking, and he was, like, I like you. And I was, like, I like you, too. And he's, like, no, like, I like you. <laughs> and I was, like, oh. And then we started dating. It took me a really long time to tell people that we were dating because – I have a lot of, I had this fear that like they wouldn't think our relationship was real because mm-hmm. we had never met. But I remember I told my family and they had mixed reactions. And then he sent me flowers for our one month anniversary. <laughs> and I just remember everyone being like, well, I guess this is a real thing that's happening. <laughs> yeah, like, like it was just like, okay, we accept this now. And it was really cool because I felt like I didn't have to explain myself to him. Mm. And I could just be myself and explore, like, what what it meant for me to be in, like, a romantic relationship and, like, an adult romantic relationship with someone because I didn't have to explain to him, like, my body works differently than most people. Yeah. Because his did, too. So it wasn't weird. Yeah. It was just, like, very normal. And I, I'll never forget that when I got to school, I was meeting with one of my professors, and I guess she knew him, but she didn't know that we were dating. And she was like, I know somebody that you need to meet because you guys would get along like a house on fire. <laughs> and then I had a picture of us on my phone, and my phone was on the table, and she looks down and goes, how do you know him? And I'm like, oh, he's my boyfriend. And she's like, of course you two are dating. <laughs> and I was like, are we that similar? Like, uh-huh. it was really funny, but it was epic because I had never, I was 23 and I had never been kissed. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had waited for this my whole life, kind of thought it would never happen. And then he came to meet me in the train station when I went from London to Northern England. Mm-hmm. He came to meet me and we kissed. And it was just like epic because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and it was kind of awkward. But it was also epic because I just like really cared about this person. And it didn't matter that I was awkward because I remember asking him if – meeting me with everything he expected and he, he was like you're even more awesome in person Aww. and like yeah it was just really like um i'm sorry it was real i whenever i talk about him it makes me laugh but then it also is hard because i've met, i've missed him tremendously yeah like as a person like even though i don't know that we would have still been together because we did have like this very strong distance between us in the sense that I'm American and he was from Britain mm-hmm. and it would have been hard for each of us to live in each other's country long term because of disability immigration mm. laws and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I know he still would have been my friend. He still would have been an important part of my life. And I just, it just makes me sad that like, he's not here for me to like be sarcastic with (laughs) and like joke around with. But, um, I, I just, I felt like he was one of the first, at least men who saw me as a woman. I want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, Or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability, and I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching people would say to me things like well i can say this in front of you because you're not really a girl mm. which really means you're not a girl i would fuck yeah like let, let's just be blunt yeah and i think that when i was in a relationship it was real to me because all these things i never let myself want like marriage and kids and things like that were suddenly on the table. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, I can have that too. Mm -hmm. And then losing him the way I did, I kind of shut that part of me off again. And then I realized probably about two years ago that that was still something that I really wanted Mm -hmm. and that I had to like figure out what I wanted and what was important to me and like all those things 
And that's kind of when my own journey of like self-discovery happened. And also when we're dating was when I realized that I wasn't completely straight, but, um, I, I was going out with some friends one night and we were video chatting and he made a joke to my friends who were all queer that they better not let anyone steal his girlfriend while, while we were out. Uh And one of my friends jokingly said, Oh, you should worry more about us stealing her than like, (laughs) like guys. And, and, and we all started laughing. And then I go, well, I mean, I don't know if I wasn't dating you, I could totally date. And I said one of my friend's names and the whole room just kind of went silent. (laughs) And everyone was like, well, okay. And it was very much that was it. It wasn't a big deal. And it was a big deal for me because I had never realized that I felt that way. But, like, I think for me, I always say that the thing is that because I do experience attraction largely based on emotional connections with people, mm-hmm. it's like if I like you, I like you. Yeah. Your gender is really irrelevant. Yeah. Like, if I like you, I like you. And if I don't, I don't. Mm-hmm. You could be, like, the hottest guy on the planet. And if I don't have an emotional connection with you, it's never going to, like, I'm never going to feel that spark. Yeah, sure. It's just not, it's not there. Yeah. So um, I want to ask you more about your your former partner, but I just here want to pause and ask, have you ever been involved with somebody of a gender other than cis male? No. But it's something that you're still interested in? Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's exciting. There's new territory to discover. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, so let's go back to the the moment on the train station, uh, whatever they call that, the, the platform. The platform. <laughs> um, is it okay if I ask you some sort of logistical questions about how this works? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so it, was he also using a wheelchair? Yes. So it took some negotiating. Yeah. It's so, it wasn't uh, it, it probably wasn't a super spontaneous moment. No, but that was <laughs> that's what's awesome about dating another disabled person, mm-hmm. right? Because we had had these long conversations about how everything would work. Um and that sounds really weird, but it was oddly comforting to me because I was like Oh, I can talk about this with you. Yeah. And you don't expect my body to just work like somebody's on an HBO show. Like, that's huge. You understand that my body doesn't work that way. Not, not that anyone's body really does, <laughs> but especially when you have a physical disability, your body just fundamentally doesn't work that way. Yeah. And it's really hard to explain to somebody like, I need help with everything. Mm-hmm. I've reclaimed the word cripple. Mm-hmm. So I'll call myself a cripple. And so would he. And we had a cripple contest <laughs> to decide who was more disabled. <laughs> and I won. Um, I'm very proud of this. <laughs> um, and I remember his mom like walked in while we were Skyping and like trying to open cans of soda or so, <laughs> something ridiculous. And she asked what we were doing, and he told her, and she looks at me and looks at him, and she goes, did you just call your girlfriend a cripple? And 
He goes, she, she is. Uh. And they go, it's okay, he is too. <laughs> and she looks at us both and goes, you deserve each other and watch that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I tell that story only to say that, like, I think for me, largely, like, what is arousing in a relationship is being able to be fully myself. Yeah. So, like, being able to, like, have these conversations with him that were both very intimate and also very logistical. Like, all right, so we want to make out. How is this going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, being able to say, like, we can't just expect it to work like it does for um, non-disabled folks. And, like, that was very real. And I think that that's a fear I have of dating somebody who doesn't have some kind of disability is that they, like, as much as they can be understanding, they still think that it's going to be the same Mm -hmm. as being with somebody who's non-disabled. And, like, for me at least, there are just things I can't, I like, logistically, like, positionally I cannot do. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like... Already as a woman, there's an expectation of what you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And then when you add to that disability and body size, you have to be super feminine to be considered a woman at all. I personally choose to be feminine because I think it does largely come from being desexualized, but it also is like my way of being like, no, like I am a girl and like this is how I identify. I'm like, it's really important to me. So, yeah, I wear makeup and dresses every day, even in quarantine. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I think that thinking about, like, sex and things like that, like, more than the, the actual act of sex, because for me, I mean, I'm not, I don't have much experience. And even the experience I do have wasn't really complete in a way. When Which you say I've, complete, do you mean there wasn't penetration or there wasn't orgasm? Right. I've never, I mean, I've never had like an orgasm. Okay. So I, and I'm sure I can, I just never have. And mm-hmm. so for me, like the most arousing experiences I've had in that regard, I've always been like talking about things yeah. rather than actually doing things. And maybe it's because I'm a writer <laughs> and you have to win me over in my head before you can win me over anywhere else. Yeah. Like, it's it just always, uh, I mean, that's just how I am. Yeah. And I don't think that necessarily has anything to do with my disability. I think it's just my personality. Like, I'm a very intellectual person. So, like, that part of me has to be intrigued. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not, like, the physical stuff is just going to fall flat. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And, and I think you're right. I don't think that that's a disability specific thing. There are a lot of us who need that piece of ourselves, that intellectual piece to be satisfied before the next piece happens. So you mentioned before we started recording that you have cerebral palsy, that you have had some mental health issues, and that you've also dealt with an eating disorder. So and I would uh, be interested to hear anything that you're willing to share about how each of those things has affected your relationship with your body and your sexuality. Sure. I mean, I spent most of my teenage years and 20s 
really hating my body. Mm. And one of the ways that I started developing a more healthy relationship with my body was through, well, you've seen my selfies on Instagram. So was through selfies and like makeup and making myself feel beautiful and even like dare I say sometimes sexy, like mm-hmm. not for anyone but myself. Mm-hmm. So I take like hundreds of selfies and don't post all of them. <laughs> but yeah, there is a level of I have to like be feeling myself before I can like be in a relationship and a lot of my feelings towards my body and I think specifically when thinking about like my mental health and like eating disorder and things like that were like other people expecting my body to be a certain way for them Mm -hmm. and my body like even in the sense of having a literal therapist Say to me, well, of course you hate your body. You're in a wheelchair. I just <gasps> hate my body too. Oh my god! That was when I was in college. Um, I'm now studying social work. I want to work with people who have um, complex medical conditions and also mental health issues mm-hmm. to help them get like culturally informed services. Yeah, that are not like going to re-traumatize them. Yeah, because I think. Or I, I, like, I had a physical therapist say to me, you can't gain the freshman 15 because then no one will be able to take care of you <gasps> or something. Oh, my or God. Those lines. So I think my relationship with my body has always been very fractured and and a lot of kind of finding my way back to being comfortable in my body was realizing that, other people could find me attractive. Mm-hmm. Like, and that there was nothing wrong with that. Like, I, there, there is still a part of me that when somebody finds me attractive, I'm like, what's your damage? Mm-hmm. Do you have a fetish? Because we're so taught that disabled people aren't supposed to be seen in that way. And fat people aren't supposed to be seen in that way. Mm-hmm. That when somebody does, I even sit there and I'm like, but why? Mm-hmm. But I think largely exploring sexuality and seeing myself as desirable in some way, both to myself and to others, has been very healing in the fact that it's like, I'm not broken. Mm-hmm. I'm not defective. I am a woman. I'm an adult. Yeah. Like, I can be beautiful and sexual and all these things. And it's totally fine. And I think that these things have affected my relationship with my body and my sexuality in the sense that they delayed them. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you asked me about my, my kind of, like, my journey there. And I think a large part of why it wasn't a thing was because I was so completely disgusted by my body. Mm. That I was like, why would I ever want to find pleasure in my body? Yeah. If I hate my body. And, and I, I think that a lot of healing had to be finding ways instead of being destructive to my body because my body frustrated me 
was finding ways to like nurture my body. So like makeup Mm -hmm. and relationships and like allowing myself to explore dating and Mm -hmm. things like that has been a huge part of that process of kind of integrating, integrating my body with my being. Yeah. As like, I'm a person and I am a body and it is okay to, you don't just have a body, you are a body. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people say like, oh, you, you, you are not a body, you have a body. And it's like, no, your body is very, very central in the way that you experience the world. Mm -hmm. And if you want to deny it all pleasure because you despise it, which is, I think, what I went through for a large part of my teens and adult life, you're not going to have a healthy sexuality because you're like, how could somebody want to be with me? Yeah. I'm gross. Mm-hmm. And, like, you have to get to a point where, where, like, now I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not gross. And it's not to say that I don't have bad body image days. I definitely do. But I also know to challenge that voice in my head and say, like, no. Like, it's totally normal for someone to say to you, like, oh, you look nice, or oh, you're pretty, or oh, I'm attracted to you, or mm-hmm. what have you, how, down that line, however, however, whatever people say. Although, I will block people on Instagram who, who send me explicit messages, because if you are a stranger, no, I don't want, like, inappropriate pictures. Yeah, like, of course. No. <laughs> like, go away. Like, yeah. like I uh, no. But that being said, like, in a relationship, to be able to say, like, it is okay for somebody to see you as desirable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's go back again to the relationship that you've had. Um, How did the two of you negotiate sex? We didn't all that many times because... He was a fool and broke his foot oh, no. um, right before I got to England. So he didn't end up living at school, so he would have to come up and visit me. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't able to do that all that often. So even though we dated for like 11 months, we only like got to see each other in person like a handful of times. Mm-hmm. But it was very much like, it was awkward, and I think I wish that I had taken more time to figure out what I liked and things like that. Mm-hmm. And the things we did do largely were not enjoyable for me because I didn't know what I liked. Yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of so, sense. So, and like now, I would do things very differently, and like like I said. For me, it's more grounded in the foreplay than, like, the actual. Mm-hmm. So, like, I realized that, like, I need that, like, mental stimulation and things like that. I can't just be like, oh, yeah, let's hook up. Yeah, sure. Like, no. It's never going to be something that I'm going to enjoy. And, like, I also think that there's a lot in our culture about, like, not wanting to disappoint the other person you're with. Mm-hmm. So not wanting to 
say to somebody like, I'm not enjoying this or like, this is making me uncomfortable. And it's interesting because I work now with people who've experienced sexual violence and a lot of the conversations are conversations around Mm non-consent. And I'm not saying that that's what I experienced because I was okay with what was going on, but I also like when I wasn't when I was uncomfortable, I didn't know how to be like, um, no, like this is not working for me. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I want women, especially women, men and women, because it is not and people all gender identities is not strictly a a woman thing, but I think girls specifically are are told it's about your partner. Mm -hmm. It's not about you. Yep. And it's like, no, no, it's about you. (laughs) Like, no. I kind of realized that I was not into, like, the more vanilla parts of things, that Mm -hmm. I was definitely more into, like, kink and things like that. And people think it's funny because I've not really had a lot of sex. So they're like, how do you know that (laughs) that's what you like? And I'm like, I just – you can just know. Sure. Just like you can know who you're attracted to, whether or not you've been in a relationship with someone of that gender. Yeah. I I was in a class with somebody who teaches kink, and they said something that really caught my attention, which was that often our kinks will show up as young as like four and five years old. And we won't recognize them in that context because we're we're babies, you know, we're little kids at that point. But if we look back from our adulthood knowledge of our kinks, we'll see the seeds and the crumbs of it much earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, that I relate to. Very so much. you don't have to have had experience necessarily to know what it is you want. Yeah. And I think it's been a journey now of just figuring out what it is that I want in a relationship mm-hmm. and things like that. And kind of for as outspoken as I am, am in other things, also being so in my relationships and being like, these are my non-negotiables. Yeah. These, this is my ground rules. And these are the things you have to know about me. Like mm-hmm. straight up day one, you have to know this. And if, like I put in all my dating profiles that I'm in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Like I and I I in a wheelchair in all my photos mm-hmm. because my whole thing is if that's not okay with you, like I'm not judging. Yep. But but I'm not the girl you need to talk to because that's never changed. Yeah. And it took me a really long time to be proud to be disabled and now I am and I'm not gonna let anyone take that away from me. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. Two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way 
to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. So you said that before you were with him, you hadn't done any exploration to figure out what you like. What kinds of exploration are you doing now to figure those things out? I definitely, like, will go on, like, different sites and talk to people mm-hmm. and kind of role play and things like that mm. and kind of explore what I like and more in that, again, that safe distance yeah. sort of way <laughs> sure. of, like, okay, we can talk about all this stuff, but you can't actually touch yeah. me. Um, and it feels much safer to me than, like, date, like, but I mean, I am sort of dating. That's a whole other thing. But it felt, I should say, much safer to do it in that arena where I felt like I had the power mm-hmm. and I had the control. Because as soon as like I meet someone and it actually does get physical, I lose all my power. Mm-hmm. And that's very scary to me. Sure. And so I realized that I have a little bit of a fear of intimacy. Yeah. And I have to work through that and I'm work and I'm working on it. But I'm also realizing that like it's okay to want those things and there's nothing dirty, gross, simple, <laughs> whatever whatever word you want to use about yeah. it. But like it has to be on your terms. I'm a really big advocate for consent in all areas of life, which means, like, I'm learning even to say to my personal care assistant, when they're helping me clean myself or whatever, mm-hmm. no, the way you're touching me makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh, good. Which 
was something I never really realized I could do. Mm -hmm. And then through my work in sexual and domestic violence, like I realized like, oh, I have the right to consent to things too. Yeah. It's, I think, a really important conversation in disability especially because some of us aren't given a lot of agency over our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing about, like, physical exploration at least. It wouldn't be something I could do by myself. So it's never been something I've been, like, Mm -hmm. comfortable enough with another person outside of, like, the person that I do. Sure to like do which is why a lot of it is very much like an intellectual exploration of things i'm not gonna like ask somebody to hand me about that's just a hard no for me because they're gonna look at me like what and again that goes back to the way we see disabled mm-hmm. people as like not having those desires like and i think i'm very like interested in like how like the puritans and like puritanical culture still affects america today Mm -hmm. and like i just think about the difference in england and like the fact that you can watch regular tv and they like show nudity and sex and like here like we'll show violence Mm -hmm. like it's totally okay to like watch someone decapitate someone but but oh my god, people are having sex. Yeah, no. exactly. And uh, that's just so interesting. To yeah, me. we're uh, we're taping this um, the week after the insurrection, the takeover of the Capitol, and there was a a great meme that I saw going around today, which was um, social media is so busy policing nipples that they can't spend time policing the people who are using this platform to plan an insurrection, which is just insanity. Exactly. Exactly. Like the female body is scarier. Yeah. You can replace them with male nipples and it's fine, but you cannot show a female nipple. Right. Not to be exclusionary to anyone, but because it is specifically like even if you don't identify as female, right? If if your nipples are coded as female, <laughs> they are not okay. Yeah, and that is so interesting to me. It's ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous, but it's also <sighs> fascinating. Yeah. In my grad school in England, I never finished my dissertation because of what happened with my partner um, passing away. Mm-hmm. But I was doing my dissertation on disability and sexuality. And I remember at one point wanting to know something about fetish porn, mm-hmm. but not wanting to look it up because I'd never <laughs> seen porn. Yeah. And telling my boyfriend to do to look it up for me. And he was like, you want me to look up porn for your dissertation? <laughs> and I was like, yes. And he was like, I need this in writing. Um <laughs> Because I'm not getting in trouble for this <laughs> with you later when you change your mind. And I was like, no, I need to know if this is a thing. Go look it up and tell me. <laughs> um, I was such a chicken. I should have just Googled it myself. But I, I, I was like, no, I'm not. 
But again, I think it's very much coming from that American culture where that is very taboo and like over there it's just not. And so my friends would always tease me about like how I didn't even have to open my mouth for them to know I was American (laughs) because my attitudes or certain things were just very like different. Yeah. And I'm not saying that all, I don't want to paint people with a broad brush certainly, but I do think our culture is very is very different. Like we are fine with violence, yeah, but we are uncomfortable with intimacy, and then we wonder why there are so many issues. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's it's something that I would like to study more, honestly, because it's it's very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dissertation was actually inspired by me wine drinking and watching British Netflix and finding a show called The Undateables, uh-huh. which is about disabled people. Oh, no uh, kidding. Trying to date. And I was like, why is it called The Undateables? And I like texted my boyfriend and some of my friends that I was like, what is wrong with your country? <laughs> and I was so mad about it. And I was like, no, this is wrong. The fact that like, this is the only representation of like mm-hmm. disability and sexuality I see on TV is like in a show called The Undateable. Yeah. I was like, I am not undateable. And I got really mad about it. I think that there is this idea in across cultures that certain people are undateable. And I, I don't buy it. Yeah. I think that anyone is dateable. You just have to find, as Dr. Seuss says, you find someone's weird who matches your weird. And that's what we call love. Yes, um, yes. That's my favorite quote. <laughs> um, but yeah, because that's how I how I see love, and that's very much how it was for me with my partner, was mm-hmm. that we, we weren't perfect people, but we were perfect for each other. Yeah. So when you look into the future, what do you hope for yourself in terms of relationships? I mean, I want to get married and have kids. And, yeah. And it, that's scary for me to say mm-hmm. out loud because for a very long time, I said, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. I I don't want those things. But it was never that I didn't want those things. It was always that I was afraid I couldn't have them. Yeah. And it was easier for me to say, I don't want, than maybe I can't have. Yeah. Um, and I still don't know. Like, I don't know if I can have my own kids. I, I, I really don't. I haven't done enough research. On, I mean, certainly people with my disability do have kids, mm-hmm. but I don't know with the level of severity that my particular case is mm-hmm. if it would be physically possible for me to, like, have a child. I, I, I just don't know. Um, but I... I also don't know that it's not. Mm-hmm. I just don't know enough about it. But yeah, I want those things. I've been talking to someone for like a couple of months now. Oh yeah, and it's still long distance. But yeah, but like that was new to get back into that and like not feel like I was betraying the relationship I had before. Yeah, because of the way it ended. But yeah, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want. To have a relationship with somebody who 
I I used to say that I wanted to find somebody who could overlook my disability, and I said that to a friend, and she said that was gross. Hmm. And she said, you don't want to find someone who could tolerate you. Yeah. You want someone who loves you for you. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that's very real. And so now I always say, I want somebody who accepts the whole package. Yeah. It's not, oh, I can I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. I used to say, I wanted someone who could deal with it and could deal with that. And now it's very much, no, I want somebody who sees me the way I am and is like, you're awesome. Yeah. And, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's certainly, I haven't given up hope even at 30 <laughs> that I will find that with, with someone. So yeah. I want that for you too. Well, thank you. Yeah. I definitely would say that I'm open to it. Is the person who you're currently talking to also disabled? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that it sounds like that provides a level of comfort for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that when we started talking. Uh-huh. It, was, it kind of just came out at the point And I was like, oh, cool. And because I'm very open about my disability. And we were, we were talking about something. And he mentioned using crutches. And I said, why do you use crutches? And he said, oh, I have actually the same condition that I have. Uh-huh. But I hadn't told him what mine was, just that I was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, and he's like, but I don't tell many people that. Hmm. And I was like, oh, well, it's cool because that's what I have. So <laughs> we're good. So I have one more question, which is, again, a logistical question. You mentioned that you have help getting dressed and, and doing things like that. And also that you wouldn't want to ask a care person to hand you a vibrator. So when you get into the bedroom with a partner, do you need to have a third person there to help and facilitate? Not if my partner is comfortable helping mm-hmm. with the things they need help with. And that's why you have long conversations with the person about, Yeah, here's what I can't do. Can you, like pitch in and help with those things or no because if no we're gonna have to figure out a plan b because i'm not really comfortable with the idea of it would depend right like but what i'm not comfortable with and this is just me is somebody that i i pay to take care of me being involved in that part of my life yeah that part of my life is very much mine Mm -hmm. and i want to possess and own that part of my life and I don't because also it feels I don't know how to explain this other than saying it feels like asking for permission Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like I need permission yeah like it's my body yeah like I can do what I want have you ever looked into sexual surrogacy I've heard of it but it's never been something that I've explored I think because I just go and like and like people and kind of explore it that way so i have a friend and she's actually been on the podcast before um i can give you the link to her episode um she works one of the things that she does is she works as a sexual surrogate 
And sometimes that means working with a person who is disabled, who wants to have a sexual experience directly with her. But sometimes it's with a couple where both people have disabilities and she helps to bring them together so they can have their experience together. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's definitely for me, it's all about the conversation and being with somebody that I feel like I can have a conversation. Yeah with and where it doesn't feel like I have to hide parts of my disability to make them less uncomfortable. Yeah. I used to swear that I wouldn't date somebody with my disability or with a disability at all, mm-hmm. which I realize is super ableist, but I had a lot of internal <laughs> internalized ableism. So sure. we're just going to own up to that. <laughs> um, because able-bodied people, non-disabled people, tend to think it's adorable when when disabled people date each other. And I don't want to be adorable. Huh, yeah. I have this, like, rejection of being adorable yeah. in most contexts. Unless, like, my partner tells me I'm adorable <laughs> and then it's cute. But but that's, that's very different. Um, but I don't want to be, like, infantilized as, like, oh, you're so cute. Mm-hmm. Like, ew, no. I am not. Yeah. Karen, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for being so open. Um, how can people find you online and follow your work? So you can follow my blog at Cleaning Crip and all my socials are on there. So whatever your preferred social channel, you can find me on there. All right. Wonderful. Uh, so Karen, thank you again. I really enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed it too. Thank you. That's it for today. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. And I'm incredibly grateful for the financial support from Good Girls Talk About Sex community members at Patreon. If you'd like to support me in telling these stories and answering your questions, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash Good Girls Talk About Sex. You can find show notes and show transcripts at www.goodgirlstalk.com. To ask a question about your sex life, your desires, or anything to do with female sexuality, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. And before we go, I want to remind you that the things you've probably heard about your sexuality are not true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. I work with women just like you to reflect their true sexual nature back to them without the judgment, shame, or fear that can get in the way of us seeing it for ourselves. As a coach and PJ Party hostess, 
I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. I'm here to help you sink so deeply into your true sexuality that the version of yourself that was scared to speak up for her own needs feels like a mirage from another lifetime. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. 